Section 8 of The Wounded Name by D. K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Eileen. Chapter 4, Part 1 The Captive Hawk. Quote, Although his back be at the wall, another was the falter. Although his back be at the wall, yet here's his health in water. He got the scathe, he got the scorn. I love him but the better. Though in the mirror I hide forlorn, I'll drink his health in water. Although his back be at the wall, yet here's his health in water. End quote. Jacobite Ballad Quote In short, sir, though you can be infernally provoking, it has been a pleasure to serve you. End quote. Stevenson, St. Ives 1. Monsieur Perillet, followed by an orderly with an armful of pillows, came briskly down the corridor one afternoon ten days later, and entered a certain guarded room. Oh, well, my children, and what are you doing now? he demanded benignantly of its inhabitants. I am having my knowledge of English extended, sir, responded one of them from the bed, smiling faintly. Monsieur de Courtemag found an English book on the shelf there, and he's reading it to me. Are those the pillows you promised me this morning? He still looked extraordinarily bloodless and even thinner, but there was more life about him. Laurent had got up and stood glancing from Monsieur Perillet to Loiselot with an air of being rather proud of his charge. Indeed, and today was an important milestone, having, a couple of days ago, had been promoted from his recumbent position to about three pillows. La Gaucheterie was now going to be propped up with many into a sitting posture for an hour or two, hence the orderly's load. And in a few minutes, the little doctor and Laurent proceeded so to prop him. You may feel a trifle giddy at first, remarked the former, surveying him critically. When you're tired, ask your nurse to take them away again. And this is your English book. Huh. Le Vicaire de Vacfiel. And what is this Vacfiel? A place or a person? <laughs> Once I could read English, though not speak it. I read the poet Shakespeare. Oh, Monsieur Perillet, observed Laurent, you are a mine of knowledge and of everything desirable. And, as you have brought Monsieur de la Rochetterie all those plump pillows, you could no doubt bring me what I want. And what is that, my boy? asked the surgeon, looking up from the pages of Goldsmith, which, sitting on the edge of his patient's bed, he was turning over, his lips very much pursed. A letter, responded Monsieur de Courtemag. Oh, a letter from a lady, from my mother, in short. Though I do not know why you should play postman. I suppose that if I get a reply to mine, which I wrote oh, a fortnight ago, it will come through the same channel, and those gentlemen downstairs. You had left yours open, I suppose? Yes, but I contrived to put in a good deal of what I wanted to say. And now I wish to hear how my dear mother is bearing my loss. Oh, I cannot tell you that, replied the little doctor, twinkling. But any ordinary, or extraordinary, outside news I can supply you with, if you are pining for it. 
Today, however, I've heard nothing in particular. But might you not get into trouble for telling us, if there were? The bounce which Monsieur Perlet gave shook the bed. Sacre bleu, young man, am I a soldier? Oh, I thank God, no. Do I care, either, whether king or emperor rules this distracted country, provided he makes haste and does it, and I get my drugs delivered when I order them? If I could hope that those confounded, diligence-robbing chouans of yours had swallowed what I was having sent last week, I might feel consoled, for, in that event, some of those long-haired gentry would still be suffering from stomachache. But I have not forgiven the imperialists, either, for opening a case because they pretended to think it contained smuggled ammunition. There's nothing to choose between the adherents of either side. No. I'm like a character in one of Le Shakespeare's plays. I forget which, but this book brings back my little English. He says, apropos of some quarrel, and I say it with him, a plague on both your houses. The linguist-making of the first noun, a disyllable, with, as was natural, the continental A, and of the second, the French word, which means a horse-cloth, Laurent stooped hurriedly to the floor, after nothing in particular, and even Loiselurg bit his lip. Oh, is not Monsieur Pagolet's pronunciation of English rather singular? he inquired, after the doctor had gone. You are not always very polite about mine, but even I had not the faintest idea what he was saying just now. Oh, I should not have known myself, but that it was a quotation, confessed his instructor, laughing. Are you comfortable like that? Not too high? Oh, quite comfortable, but a little out of my bearings. Still, I was coming to know the geography of the ceiling rather over well. And now that I'm thus erected, I suppose you will insist on my reading that book to myself. I wonder, de Cotomar, what is the next reformation that you will try to work on me after my health and my English and, as he held out his blanched hand with its seamed wrist for the vicar of Wakefield, he suddenly gave his companion a brief glimpse of his once enchanting smile. Laurent went red with pleasure. Yes, this was indeed a day to be remembered, the first time that Loiselac had smiled in earnest since he was brought to Arbel. He gave him the book and said that he did not really expect him to struggle with it, but, said his charge, I shall like to read more about this pastor who has his living wife's epitaph framed over his mantelpiece to encourage her in virtue. It seems to me that he must be a person of humor. Highly pleased at this unwanted manifestation of interest, Laurent sat down by the window. Captivity had hardly yet had time to be irksome. He had been too much occupied. But even if La Rochetterie's life no longer depended on his care, he had no visions of escape, though, obviously, the climb down from the unbarred window presented only one difficulty to a young and vigorous man, the sentry below. Laurent's heart, however, was chained for the present in this room, where he had acquired something personally more precious than what he had lost. It still seemed strange and wonderful to him that his hero had been given over to him like a child. Like an infant, indeed, at one stage, 
requiring to be fed from a spoon. He was not so helpless now, and though he was still very weak. But since the day when they had come to an understanding, it was nothing but a pleasure to do things for him. And Loiselag was so good, so patient, so grateful. All at once, Loiselag's own voice, with the lightness gone out of it, broke in on these reflections. You were speaking just now about having written a letter, Comte. Have you writing materials there? And if so, might I... Of course, replied Laurent, jumping and fetching them. Monsieur de la Rochetterie did not get on very fast, however. Whether from physical or mental disabilities was not clear. At last his pencil ceased its labors altogether, and the writer put his head back against his high pillows. Perhaps the letter was a difficult one. It might well be. After a few minutes in action, he tried again, added a word or two, and desisted a second time. And then he looked in Laurent's direction. Oh, I'm so sorry, de Courtemar, he said rather breathlessly. I suppose it is these pillows. It's ridiculous, but I feel... What he felt was pretty obvious now. Laurent grabbed away Monsieur Perelet's erection and laid him flat again, where, after a little, he got the better of his faintness. On this, rather to Laurent's surprise, he asked if he might dictate the rest of his letter, as he wanted to finish it. So Laurent retrieved the pencil and paper and sat down by the bed. Very little was on the paper. Oh, please read it over to me, said the writer. And Laurent read these words aloud. My dear grandmother, you will, I expect, have heard that my little force was almost annihilated about three weeks ago, and you may have been wondering. Laurent looked inquiringly at the bed. Why you have had no news from me, finished its occupant slowly. And Laurent completed the sentence, trying to guess what the next would be. What would he, what could he, tell his grandmother about his plight? I was slightly wounded, resumed Aimard in a colourless tone, Laurent involuntarily raising his eyebrows as he transcribed this statement, and am now a prisoner, but I have been and am very well looked after. He let his eyes dwell for a second on his amanuensis as he dictated this, and his voice had a different inflection, though his expression did not change. There is therefore no need for anxiety on my behalf. In the pause that followed, Laurent wondered whether it were of set purpose that he had not mentioned his place of captivity. Loiselard resumed. Oh, please tell Avoy that her letter reached me just before I... He paused again. Before I was captured. She will understand that I cannot answer it at present, as I should have wished. And do not be uneasy if you do not hear from me again for some time. That is all, said the letter writer, suddenly appearing exhausted. If you will kindly give it to me, I will sign it. Well, there could hardly be a bolder letter of reassurance, thought Laurent. How shall I address it? he asked. If you please, said Loiselard. Madame la Vicomtesse de la Gaucheterie, 
un château de Cécigne, près Merliac. I'm going to ask Monsieur Perlet to post it. If he does not feel justified in doing so, I shall tear it up. It is not going through their hands downstairs. And as Laurent assented sympathetically, he added, But I'm afraid you will think that I'm not a very candid person, de Cotomar. It would hardly be kind, however, to tell my grandmother the truth about my capture, would it? And there's no actual lie, as you can see, in that letter. Laurent grew hot in a moment. A faint, half-tortured amusement showed in the red-brown eyes. Well, perhaps Monsieur Perlet will refuse to take it, and that will end the matter, said their owner. And Laurent had the strange idea that, on the whole, he would be glad of it. But Monsieur Perlet, when asked next morning, made no bones about it at all, merely repeating his Shakespeare quotation rather more execrably than before. It was, indeed, Monsieur Perlet who reigned supreme over the affairs of the two prisoners, and thanks to him, Loiseleur had the best of everything. Aubert, the impassive major, remained in command of the garrison during this fortunately prolonged absence of Colonel Guiton. Aubert, who, according to Laurent, was a mere shell of a man and did not really exist. Certainly they never saw him nor wished to do so. But with Lieutenant Rigaud, Laurent was striking up quite a friendship. In these last ten days, Monsieur de Cotomac had ceased to exercise himself deeply over the problem of Pont au Rocher, and though he had by no means ceased entirely to think about it. And even if speculation had quite died down, it would have been revived by two nocturnal surprises, which occurred about this time. The first was a perfectly unheralded and abrupt ejaculation made by Loiselog in his sleep one night. Laurent was lying wide awake when his companion's voice suddenly cut the silence with, Tell the truth, de Fresne. That and no more. After a second or two's amazement, Laurent tiptoed over to his bed to discover that he was, undoubtedly, talking in his sleep. But that clueless fragment more like a command than an entreaty, out of the brain which held the secret, which was busy with it, evidently, in dreams, had it given the name of the man whom Loiselag was shielding at such cost? Or had it not? Nor, having heard it as he did, dared Laurent ask. But two nights later he was wakened out of a very sound slumber to hear a thick and agonized voice saying in the darkness, I shall never be there in time, now. Oh, get on, you brute. Six miles yet. Oh, God. Oh, God. Then came actual sounds of struggle, and Laurent jumped half-terrified out of bed and struck a light, to find Aymar writhing about, repeating between clenched teeth. Oh, I can't get my hands free. Oh, I can't get my hands free. And then, gasping, Make them be quick about it, for God's sake. Laurent set down the candle and laid hold of the scarred wrists. La cocheterie, la cocheterie, wake up! How dare you touch me, cried the sleeper excitedly, trying to throw off the grasp. 
his eyes still shut. And then the bonds of nightmare suddenly loosed, and he opened his eyes and lay there panting. After a moment he put his hand to his damp forehead. I was dreaming, he got out confusedly. It was nothing. I'm so sorry I disturbed you. If you would just take these ropes away. Oh no, what am I talking about? I'm awake now. Oh, go back to bed, de Courtemar. But he could not, surely, have been thoroughly awake. For when Laurent, with an exclamation of, I believe you've started your shoulder bleeding, tore open his shirt and began to repair the slight mischief caused by the bandages having slipped. Aymar, with a sudden gleam in his eyes, seized his wrists and tried mutely but passionately to hold him off. And Laurent could not bear to master him by force, as he might so easily have done. La cocheterie, he said, looking down at him almost sternly. This is not worthy of you. Take your hands away. For a second, the weak, half-frenzied grip tightened. Then it relaxed altogether, and Loiselard obeyed him, to Laurent's secret amazement, and turned his unhappy face away while measures were taken that the dressings should not slip a second time. In fact, when Monsieur Perrelet came next morning, he exclaimed at his assistant's bandaging. Oh, you might have been lashing something to a mast, he observed, and asked why his patient had not complained. But Aymar said gravely, Why well, should not dare to question anything Monsieur de Courtemac did to me? He is too commanding. And he gave the confused Laurent a look oddly compounded of sadness, <laughs> mischief, and affection. 3. Another week passed. Laurent received a letter from his mother, containing sympathetic messages to Loiseleur, and the information that the ants considered Laurent honoured as sharing his captivity, both of which announcements Loiseleur had received very stiffly. And for the rest of the day he had looked. Laurent had seen that look before, but he had never put a name to it. He had looked haunted. That night, after Laurent was in bed, his fellow captive suddenly asked, What was Monsieur Perrelet saying to you this morning about Napoleon's dispatching troops to the west? That something like twenty-five battalions of the line are being sent against Brittany and Vendée, besides cavalry and what not. What is flattering? If only one were free. Oh, if you were, yes. But I was only an aide-de-camp, faltered Laurent. Oh, the more lucky you. You had no men to throw away. He was tormenting himself about those miserable éperviers of his, then. Those scoundrels who did not deserve it. It was not easy for Laurent to realize that Loiseleur's lost legion consisted of two parts, the victims of the disaster at the bridge and those who had subsequently made their leader a victim too, and he tended to confound them both in one burning horror and hatred. Evenot, for instance, went on the sad voice in the darkness. Evenot, who used to follow me like a dog, you remember, perhaps, my speaking of him in England. Oh, I do not know whether he's killed or a prisoner. He's just missing, 
like so many others. I remember about Evanou, said Logon gently. The name brought the fairy tale back to him at once. I suppose, he proceeded, almost without reflecting, and that the Chartier is now in the possession of our friends downstairs. How much good may it do them? I noticed long ago, of course, that it was not on your arm. <laughs> the Chartier exclaimed its late possessor and gave a harsh little laugh. Now the imperialists have not got it, nor my men either. I once told you that I put no faith in it, de Courtemar. Nevertheless, if I had it now, I should not be lying here, despised even by my enemies. No, I do not refer to the running water legend. I should rather say again, did I believe in the amulet at all, and that the Chartier had carried me safely through that river of yours. I wish it had not. Good night. Logon lay silent after that, looking from his bed at the summer stars. Yes, there could be no doubt that Aimag was bitterly regretting the too heavy sacrifice he had made. If only, only he could throw down the burden he had assumed. But what if he could not throw it down? What if he were entangled in a situation from which it was no longer in his power to extricate himself at will, if by some trick of fate not anticipated when he took his generous resolution, he were a prisoner, indeed, in the most terrible kind of captivity, and knew it. The idea came on Laurent like a blow over the heart, and Arcturus, pulsating out there in the limitless heavens, had passed out of sight before he made any effort after slumber. 4. But whatever truth there might be in Laurent's most unwelcome theory, Loiselag's relapses into gloom and bitterness were separated by periods when someone resembling the old and charming Aymar was visible once more. After all, he was young, and Laurent, too, was young, younger still, and at times the youth of both of them surged up and over. Such a time was that day when, Returning from his promenade on the terrace, Laurent announced to his companion that their captivity would henceforth be shared by a third individual. And then, at sight of his dismayed face, burst out laughing and told him to wait until he had shown him the individual in question. He thereupon fetched a drinking glass, turned his back, and after a moment deposited on the bed, in this transparent prison, an enormous grasshopper, as green as a leaf. Take it away, said Loiseleur, recoiling. It will get out, and I don't want it on me. Laurent sat himself down on the bed, too. No, it won't. Besides, I'm going to tame it. You know that it is derigueur for prisoners to tame mice and spiders, and this is better, of such a pleasing sylvan color. I found him on the terrace. We will call him Vague Vague. The parrot in the poem could not have been greener. Il était beau, brillant, leste et volage. Look, how he is feeling about with those enormous horns. Oh, poor devil, said Aymar, studying the captive. I should let it go again if I were you, de Courtemar. Oh, very well, quoth Laurent, and lifted the glass. 
I'll not hear, you imbecile. But Vag Vag, after one second's reflection, had vanished into space. Yet, as his color quickly betrayed him on the white quilt, he was recaptured without much difficulty at the foot of the bed, amid protests from its occupant, who did not, however, seem really annoyed, rather on the verge of being amused. And, indeed, it was through Vag Vag's agency that the next day was rendered remarkable, for it was the day on which Loiselard actually laughed. Laurent had been racking his brains for the most striking means of introducing Vag Vag to Monsieur Pagalet's notice, the great difficulty, however, being that the lively insect would not stay where he was put. All at once an idea came to him. I have it, Heimar, he exclaimed, and pulled himself up short as the name slipped out. Oh, I beg your pardon. Why? asked Loiselard, smiling. Oh, I should like it. May I venture to do the same? Oh, yes, indeed, said Laurent, colouring. And he added ingenuously, Oh, I only wish my name were as beautiful as yours. How oh, is it beautiful? asked its possessor, raising his eyebrows. Oh, I never thought of it. There have been so many in our family since the first, who was a crusader. Oh, but go on with your plan for introducing Monsieur Pergolet to Vague Vague. Laurent was staring at him. That vivid impression of his own on his first entry to this room had justification, then. He came back with a jump to his proposal. It needed some argument to get Aymar to agree to it, but when Monsieur Pergolet came into the room half an hour later, Laurent was chuckling, and to think how little one would have imagined that the grave young man, who greeted him so demurely from his pillows, was cherishing under the bedclothes, like any schoolboy, a large green grasshopper to let fly in his physician's face when he started to dress his wounds. Not only, indeed, had Loiselog entered into this childishness, but he had, as the event showed, planned an improvement upon it for he withheld the insect enclosed in his hand from Monsieur Pagalet altogether, and launched it instead at an unexpected moment during the dressing of his shoulder, at his partner in guilt on the other side of the bed. Laurent started back with an exclamation as the ill-starred acrobat blundered against his chin, and then fell into the little bowl of water which he held, and Aymar buried his face in the pillow, laughing like a boy. A slow smile came over Monsieur Pagalet's countenance as the situation dawned upon him. Ah, he said to himself, in a tone of satisfaction. But if there are any more of the Lacoustidae in your bed, Monsieur de la Rochetterie. Oh, do forgive me, sir, pleaded Aymar, emerging from the pillow. It was this follower of Buffon here. Oh, it's gone again. Oh, it's on me. Locusta viridissima. Extremely agile, commented Monsieur Pagalet. Oh, for goodness sake, get the insect under control again, Monsieur de Courtemar, if I'm ever to finish this dressing. 5. But Vagvag, who was to have enlivened their captivity, stayed with them only three days. On the third, he sprang through the open window by Aymar's bed and was no more seen. Aymar blamed Laurent for letting him loose on the counterpane. 
Laurent retorted that the person under the counterpane was in charge. He was always in hopes of finding another on the terrace, but he did not succeed. The days went on. It was June now. Aimag was slowly gaining strength, but he had not yet left his bed. Almost every day, Laurent would read to him a little, but though he always had a courteous appearance of attention, and the reader sometimes wondered whether he were really listening. He would occasionally read himself, but never for long. If one turned round after a while, and the book had invariably slipped from his hands, and he was lying absorbed in thought, and looking haunted. It was impossible to pretend that Loiselog was an exhilarating comrade of captivity. And though he made efforts, as was plain, rather pathetic efforts, and to be cheerful, the gaiety which is pumped up from the depths of a heavy heart lacks sparkle. In fact, even ordinary conversation was often extremely difficult, for with a man under such a cloud, and so sensitive, and there was scarcely a subject in the past, present, or future, which was not capable of wounding. Logan's own short and uneventful history had always seemed an innocuous topic, but one day he wished he had not dilated even on that. He had been describing an incident in his childhood, when he thought he had lost his mother during a game of hide-and-seek in the garden, when Aymar suddenly began. My last recollection of my mother is of looking for her in a garden. Oh, at least I suppose you would call it a garden, and though it had high walls round and no flowers. But I did not find her, ever. Laurent looked over at him with a kind of catch at the heart. Aymar had taken out a spray of wall flower from the glass by his bed and was holding it in his bloodless fingers. I was in the prison Pog Libre, you know, he went on, his eyes fixed on the flower, with my mother and father and my uncle in ninety-four. I was five years old then. My mother could not bear to leave me behind in her house in Paris when my father and she were arrested. She must have thought that they would not be detained long. My father was just my age when he was guillotined. Yes, I used to play in that flowerless garden when it was fine. And the summer of ninety-four, I've been told since, was very fine. But the day they left me it was too hot to play. I think I must have had a headache, for I remember my mother dipping her handkerchief in water and putting it round my head and kissing me a great many times. She was only a girl. I have the handkerchief still. And I looked for her that day in the garden, all round the great acacia tree that was there. I can see its rough, channeled bark now. I looked every day, and I asked everybody. A week's delay would have saved them, and they were executed on the second of Thermidor. And you, afterwards, asked Laurent with some difficulty. After Robespierre's fall, I was taken to my uncle's widow, who had not been arrested. She had one little girl, my cousin, now Madame de Villecresne. I was with my young aunt till she died. Of grief, as I know now. Two years later, and then my cousin and I went to our grandmother at Cessigny. 
and so you can imagine that a man with memories like mine. And there he stopped and relapsed into silence, his hand closing convulsively over the wallflower, which Laurent found later on the floor, a mere crushed ball of petals. All the rest of the day he was haunted by a picture of a forlorn little auburn-haired boy in a prison, ceaselessly asking and looking for the mother who had left it for a narrower. And now he who had been that little boy was once more a captive and once more robbed of the most precious thing he had. But Laurent was a captive, too, and often found it far from amusing to be cooped up summer day after summer day when history was being made and battles fought without him. For that, as he gathered from Monsieur Perlet, who was precisely what was happening in Vendée, where, since mid-May, when the Marquis Louis de la Roche-Jacquelin had arrived from England and assumed the leadership, things had really been moving. And Brittany, Loiselard's Brittany, where they were held fast, was full of activity, too. Even if, as seemed likely, and the decisive conflict would take place on the northeastern frontier, it was very bitter to be debarred from playing any part in this local struggle, which, after all, was occupying many thousands of troops, which Napoleon could well have utilized elsewhere for that great decision. But not so bitter for him, Laurent recognized, as for his fellow captive. At times, for a mark's sake, he really dreaded Monsieur Perlet's jovial. Well, so your brigands have taken a redon. Or, I hear that your general-in-chief is in straits for want of ammunition. Since both good and bad tidings had almost equal power to stab the leader whose men had already been so uselessly sacrificed. End of section 8